Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these beautiful hymns, and Lord, we just ask that you would help us to learn them, and Lord, remind us that even on Thursday nights as we sing, we sing to your honor and to your glory, and Lord, we're thankful that you're desirous of seeing souls saved, and Lord, you've given us this wonderful duty of being your servants, of taking your light to the world in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. I, John, verse 9, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. For the word of God... And for the testimony of Jesus Christ, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira, and under Sardis, and under Philadelphia, and under Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair, hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, we read the whole way through the end of the chapter. No fear, we're not going to get that far tonight, all right? But I wanted you just to see uh, the progression here in verse 9, we have I, John, as he introduces himself and gives us a little information there. And then John heard in verse 10, in verse 12, he says, I saw. And in verse 17, I fell at his feet. And this is the progression of the beginning here. And 
before we finish chapter 1, we are already going to be introduced to the types and pictures and the figurative speech that is going to be used in the book of Revelation. And here, God is very careful to explain the pictures, the figures that we see, the seven candlesticks are seven churches. Now, let's be careful. Those seven churches were real churches in real cities. Uh, if you start reading a commentary and they start talking about the seven different church ages and all of these things, be very careful. Because these were seven real churches that literally existed in the day about 95 A.D. or so that John wrote this letter at the voice of Jesus Christ and they had real problems in these real churches. But what we're going to do is we're going to come back to verse 9 and pick up where we left off. John says, Whom also your brother... He was not lifting himself up to some high position and companion. Now, he was a companion. That means he shares like things. The like things that he shares was the tribulation, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the patience of Jesus Christ. And last week we ended with the idea of how long... He waited and lived, and John was now well into his 90s as far as we understand. And he says, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, Patmos is an island. It's in the Aegean Sea. Uh, they tell us it's somewhere around 30 or 40 miles from the city of Ephesus. It's a real place. In fact, you can go to the island of Patmos today, and you know what they have there? They have a very old monastery. It only came about a thousand years after John. I think it was founded in about 1088 well, John was there about 95 A.D., so it's not too hard to realize that there's no connection between John the Beloved Disciple and the monastery that sits in the supposed place where John received the revelation, other than it was the same island. Amen? Uh, apparently, uh, John had been banished or removed from society. This was under the persecution of the Roman Emperor, one of the most devious and, and uh, uh, just uh, horrid persecutions of the church, your, uh, your life was in danger if you identified yourself as a Christian. Now, we do not know why John was not killed other than the fact that God had work for him to do. Amen. And so John was isolated from regular society. He was stuck on this island, and he was there. Now, this is what John said, for two reasons I was there. Number one, for the Word of God. Now, 
we go back to, and I didn't put the cross-references in here. You may want to jot this down. Acts chapter 4. If you'll remember, uh, very early on, after Pentecost, the, they were preaching. And verse 19 of Acts chapter 4, it says, But Peter and John, the same John that wrote the book of Revelation at the mouth of Jesus Christ, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now, Peter was standing before the Sanhedrin here, the Jewish body. He was being accused and the twelve disciples for speaking in the name of Jesus, and they were charged. They said, listen you are not allowed to preach and teach in the name of Jesus Christ. They had healed a man in the temple. He made quite a scene. As Peter and John walked into the temple to pray, here comes this man that had spent um, uh, his life begging, jumping up and down, praising God. And I don't think he was going... I mean, this was a man who could not walk, and now he was walking. This wasn't happening on Benny Hinn or uh, all those other guys out there. Uh, i got to get me a list of names here, but uh, Oral Roberts had nothing to do with it. Uh, and all of these preachers out there, this was a miracle that God did. God does do real miracles. He doesn't need you or Reverend so-and-so or Mrs. so-and-so or any of these so-and-sos out there because when God does a miracle, He wants the glory, not some human being. And so they were there. They were called in question. What did they do? They said, you judge, we have a choice, you've said it before us, we have this command from God, they were talking about Jesus, and this command from you, we cannot do both. A choice must be made. Either we're going to obey God and disobey you, or we're going to obey you and disobey God. Since God is more important than you are, guess who's getting disobeyed? That's what John meant when he said, for the word of God. I thank the Lord that in the United States of America, with all of our problems, and we add to them daily, especially in New York State, there's not one law on the books that demands my disobedience to God. Amen? There's an awful lot of unlawful things that are permitted. But there is no law that states you must go out and have an abortion. You must engage in sodomite marriage. They have not, nor have they ever passed a, such a law here in the United States since our Constitution. And, and we praise the Lord for that. Now, that day may come, and you may have to make a choice. Am I going to obey what the Bible says? 
and disobey the world. Because, see, when you disobey, you've got to face the consequences. How many young people understand that? When you disobey, you have to face the consequences. I wish we could teach every young person that lesson. Because we're told today there are no consequences for sin. That the Ten Commandments should not have influence. That's why they won't allow them. Could you imagine somebody were to be influenced by the Ten Commandments? How awful that would be? Yes, I'm using sarcasm. I mean... If you're not to kill somebody, maybe you wouldn't beat them up in the hallway at school either. Amen? If you're not to tell a lie, guess what? Maybe mom and dad, honor thy father and thy mother. How about thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain? And then have to flunk out half the school. Uh, I, I'm amazed at the... Uh, low level of communication there is among many young people today. It is dirty word, dirty word, clean word, dirty word, dirty word, dirty word, clean word. I mean, they may only say uh, four or five real words in a sentence, but it's already a mile long and it's just laced with profanity and filth. They were in, John was in the Iowa Patmos because he chose to obey the word of God and defy mankind. By the way, and we're just chasing a little rabbit here. Do you think it would be better to be more afraid of disobeying God than offending your friends? Might it be a good thing to be more afraid of offending God than anyone or anything else? Most of the time, we never get there because we're too busy offending God in our daily life to ever have to worry about taking a stand and offending man by obeying God. Now, remember, John is an old man now. I've heard preachers pray, God, keep me from becoming a mean old man. I've known some preachers that that's just what they did. And that's a scary thought. The testimony for the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, you do have to understand there is a great deal of overlap in the testimony of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. It's the obedience to the Word of God that gives me a testimony worthy of the name of Jesus Christ. The title is Christian. We call ourselves Christians. In fact, I've had people say, are, are Baptist Christians? And I always laugh and they look at me kind of funny and I says. Well, the word Christian 
means Christ-like. Al Sharpton and Bill Clinton don't qualify, all right? They claim to be Baptists, but of course that's not the only things that they've told lies about. Uh, The word Christian means Christ-like. John is saying the testimony of Jesus Christ, what that means is, What do we know about Jesus Christ that you have in common with Him that people know about you? John said, listen, people know about Jesus and there was enough in common in my life that the way I was living was counted as a testimony that belonged to Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm living in the island of Patmos now instead of on the mainland with all the other people. And so John was made to live on this island, to limit his influence apparently, to keep him out of the mainstream, to keep him from talking to other people. And what happened? He wrote the most talked about book in the history of mankind, the book of Revelation. Amen. Uh, God has a way of just taking care of those things. You let the world do what they're going to do, and you just keep the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And whatever God has for you to accomplish, he will use you to get it done. But if you're not being obedient in your daily walk, then God's not going to use you. For his testimony because you don't have one. People are not going to persecute you because of the word of God. They're going to persecute you because of the wrong things that you're doing that are already against the word of God. You're not getting persecuted when you get a traffic ticket. You're not getting persecuted when sanitation comes by and leaves one of those love letters on your dash saying, you forgot to move your car. That's not persecution might be forgetfulness. could be a lot of things. But you're not being persecuted because it has nothing to do with the testimony of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you wanted to have a better testimony with Jesus Christ, you would move the vehicle. You would take care of those things in obedience to the law because that's what Jesus told us to do. Amen? So as he was on this island, he was there because of the word of God, obedience to God's word, and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, when our church first started meeting, we rented an office space for three days, and then we didn't have a place to meet from October until January. And in January, we found our first real home in the basement of the Yugoslavian Seventh-day Adventist Church over on 32nd Street. We rented from them for about four years. And uh, the caretaker there was... I don't know how he got to be the caretaker of a Yugoslavian church because he wasn't Yugoslavian. He was Greek. He was Demetrius was his name. And, oh, he was a thorn in our flesh. 
And he would constantly harass us. He put it, put my wife on the Seventh-day Adventist mailing list, and we started getting all this weird literature. And, and uh, we finally figured out whose fault it was. And uh, he loved to argue about Sunday. Now, when we read, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, how many of you already thought it was talking about Sunday? Honestly, truly, I see some hands going up, about half. How many of you had no idea what it was talking about when it said the Lord's Day? Okay. It is talking about Sunday. You see, if it were talking about the Day of Judgment, that would be the Day of the Lord as a term. That's referring to uh, the best definition I can give is the entire period from the rapture of the church until the great white throne judgment, a little over a thousand and seven years, kind of fits with Second uh, Peter, a day was the Lord is with a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. The rapture of the church, the tribulation period, the, the millennial kingdom and the great white throne judgment are all included in this thing called the day of the Lord. But when he simply says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, said, I was banished to this island, and on Sunday, as our habit was and is, I worshipped the Lord on his day, the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you want to chase that one out, we could go through history and quote all of the ancient writings and things like this. It was not until modern times people tried to figure out the Lord's Day was something else. And uh, old Demetrius used to say, nobody worshipped on Sunday until the Council of Laodicea in 346 A.D. when the church decided Sunday was the day of worship. Um, You have to be careful quoting the church fathers. Uh, The only thing you had to do to become a church father was to live in that time period and write a book that we have a copy of today. Some of those guys were real scoundrels. But because they wrote about Jesus and they happened to live in 250 A.D., this guy named Origen, of whom we have no, uh, no hope to ever see in heaven because of his own writings... He's a church father. Well, I'm here to tell you I'm not Origen's kid. Amen? Uh, I want to be a child of the Bible, of the Word of God. I want to be a child of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be part of His family. I don't get my doctrine from the church fathers. I don't care if every church father that ever wrote disagreed. If the Bible clearly states something, we're going to believe what the Bible says. And by the way, not every church father totally disagrees with the Bible. The ones they called heretics just happened to believe the Bible. Amen? And many of them, some of them were heretics in everybody's book. But again, our belief does not come from the writing of men's words. It comes from the recording of God's words. Go with me to Galatians chapter 5. And these are verses that you should know well. 
But this term, in the Spirit, if you want to be in the Spirit, let's start in verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5. This I say then, and by the way, if you read the entire passage, the Galatians were having some problems. Verse 15, but if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Sounds like the nursery some days. Uh, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. How many of you have ever found yourself there? Not being able to do what you want to do. Well, here's the problem. The flesh is stronger in your life than the Spirit at that point. I'm sure you all heard the thing they talked about. uh, This has been a story that's repeated often. Um, Many years ago, an old Indian chief got saved, and they asked him how, how it was, and he said, being a Christian, it's terrible. And they said, what do you mean, chief? He says, it's like having two dogs inside a good dog and a bad dog, and they fight all the time. And the preacher was trying to figure it out, and he said, well, which one wins? He said, the one I feed the most. I'll tell you what, a lot of theology there. If you're going to walk in the Spirit, you've got to allow the desires of the Spirit to control. And... That is a battle that is going to be fought moment by moment as long as you live. You say, that's discouraging. Well, wait a minute. Let's just take a moment here and chase back Sunday night to Brazen Altar. What protects you from the fires that destroy your desires and your wants and your plans? It's the brass that overlaid the wood you get yourself constrained or covered by God's judgments and you'll be able to stand the battle. If you're not covered by God's judgments, the brass is pictured there as God's judgments, then the fire consumes the wood. By the way, that's you. If you don't want the fire burning the wood, get covered with the brass of God's Word. It will protect you. Amen? And where does the fire go? When the sacrifice is consumed, the embers burn the incense on the golden altar. So, let's read on. Verse 18, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, Variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the such like of which I tell, tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do these things shall be recorded in the New York Times and shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen? I mean, that's what the news media tells us about. If it bleeds, it leads, right? I mean, if it's garbage, it's going to be printed. But if 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Have they ever passed a law that said, you must get drunk? You must lose your, your cool and get in a fist fight with somebody? I mean, that's what temperance is, is being able to live a moderate life. Amen? By the way, you won't get the temperance until you start with love, joy, peace. Long-suffering brings gentleness. There's a progression here. And by the way, this is not the fruit of the Christian influenced by the Holy Spirit, but this is the fruit of of the Holy Spirit as He lives in the life of the Christian. Do you see the difference? The Holy Spirit is not using you to produce these things, but as the Holy Spirit has freedom to work in your life, He produces these things. Because love does not come from you. Because God is love. Amen? We are not by nature joyful people. It's the Holy Spirit that produces joy. How many of you have enough patience? Nobody that would be honest, amen? We all need more long-suffering. How many could use a little more gentleness? A little more goodness? Isn't it interesting that after gentleness and goodness, then comes faith? Holy Spirit needs to do some work in all of our lives. Amen. John said, I was in the Spirit. You know what? John didn't have people to minister to. There was no one to hear his preaching. He was basically, as far as we know, living in exile and banishment. He was by himself. But he was still in the Spirit. You know what? That meant he wasn't walking after his own lust and his own desires, even though nobody would have known if he was all by himself, now would they? We need to understand that walking in the Spirit is not dependent upon my circumstance. It's dependent upon my obedience to the Word of God. And so he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He was under the direction of an influence of the Holy Spirit of God. And as we read this passage, just not really a parallel, but something that comes into my mind is in back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree of the garden of, of the knowledge of good and evil. They had hidden themselves from God's presence. The Bible says that the voice of God came into the garden in the cool of the evening, like it happened every day. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day because 
that's where I belong on the Lord's Day. It was just a natural thing for John to do. He more than likely had no one to preach to, so he just gave the invitation and surrendered. Amen? And he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And guess who showed up? We'll end with this thought. We'll leave you off early tonight. Because if we get moving on, we'll, we'll get dragged down for the next 15 minutes. And I don't want to do that. What would happen if Jesus actually walked through those back doors during a church service? What would happen if the Lord Jesus actually walked into your office or your place of employment tomorrow? What would happen if the Lord Himself knocked on the door of your home, said, would you mind if I spent the night? Pretty scary thought now, isn't it? But yet the Holy Spirit of God lives where in the life of the Christian? It says he shall be where? In you. Jesus said in John chapter 16, listen, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said, I'm going to come. My Father and I are going to abide with you. The Holy Spirit is going to live in you. Everywhere we go, the Spirit of God should be living in us, living through us. John had such a testimony, such an identification with the Lord Jesus Christ that the authorities felt that it was necessary to banish him from public intercourse, public communication, and put him on this island in the middle of the Aegean Sea where he could no longer influence anyone against the authority of Rome. He was in the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And on the Lord's day, where was he? He was in the Spirit. And by the way, let me tell you what John, what happened to John. Skip ahead to verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Let me tell you, if Jesus actually showed up, uh, that's what we would do. We'd take one look and pass out. But we have his word. Amen. We can fellowship with him through the spirit of God as we're obedient to God's word. Let's listen. And and by the way, I believe this is what John was talking about when he said, Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. These are the things that God wants us to keep and understand and walk daily. 
Because when we have church, guess who does show up? The Lord Jesus Christ. His Spirit is here. I don't feel it. Well, maybe you need to get your feeler fixed. But the Holy Spirit does not work based on your feelings. He works on the Word of God. Get yourself in alignment with the Word of God. And you may not feel the Spirit, but you'll know He's there. Because God is not subject to human sensory perception. He is subject to His Word. That's why John was in the island. For the Word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we ask that you would work in our hearts and lives. And that you would encourage us with the testimony of this ancient gentleman. Who was removed from public society because of his love and his obedience to your word. And his personal identification with the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, he was still in the spirit on the Lord's day. Lord, we ask that you would make us faithful to your service, to your worship, and to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed.